0: Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jettikin. Hi, Desi. Hi. Wait. Sh- what? what are, oh, Patreon. Sh- let's
1: start off by thanking our lovely patrons over at patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. Is that me? I guess so. Okay. I'll thank our patrons. Sure. They
0: subscribed to our Patreon-only content at patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. Who's sorry. that? You?
1: I'm so sorry. That's
0: fine. <laughs> um, they have access to bonus episodes, ad-free episodes, and we've also added a feature, a new feature on our Patreon. You can now sign up yearly, so one, a one-time, once-a-year fee with a slight discount
1: yeah. as opposed to getting charged every month. Some people were requesting it. They had to change cards or whatever, and they could just do it all at once. Yeah, that's interesting
0: to you. So you can pay all at once up front for a year, and then it'll recharge you next year. Okay, if you're into that. Okay, so this week we had Michelle, Chris, Courtney, Rousseau, Mariana, Olivia, Jordan, Annie, Jasmine, Kira, Alicia, Stacy, Robin, Catherine, Samantha, Zoe, Jaded Pegs, Alec. Kira, Bonnie, Jenny, Louise, Caitlin, and Kimberly. Thank
1: you all so much. Thanks, guys. So today we're going to talk about the real story behind the 2019 movie Hustlers. Ooh. So it's a movie versus reality This movie starred Jennifer Lopez, Constance Wu, Kiki Palmer as a gang of strippers who basically drugged and robbed their wealthy clientele. Uh, It also features Lizzo and Cardi B, Mm -hmm. so it was a pretty great cast, right? Star-studded. Star-studded. And this was definitely sold as a modern-day Robin Hood tale, a story about female friendship, But as with most things, it's definitely a little more complex than that. The movie was based on a New York Magazine story called The Hustlers at Scores by Jessica Pressman, which I use as a source as well. Um, I also use stories um, from Vulture by Hunter Harris called The Stripper Pole to the Tent Pole. Several news stories from the New York Post, which covered this story a lot when it was happening. And a memoir by the leader of the gang of strippers, Samantha Barbash, a.k.a. Samantha Fox. Not the singer. Not the singer. She wants to have some fun, too, though. That's right. Robin guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I wonder what ha- whatever happened to Samantha Fox. Maybe she's an episode. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so let's get into this story. In April of 2014, a news story broke on page six of the New York Post that was quickly ripe fodder for people to dunk on. A prominent New Jersey cardiologist was being sued by Scores, an upscale strip club, for not paying his $135,000 tab. What For one night? He It was a, a few nights in one week. He ran up this tab in November of 2013, and according to club rep Stephen Sabbath, He spent a lot of money. He was partaking and tipping and drinking. Dr. Zayed Yunan had an interesting defense. He said he was drugged by the plaintiff's employees and did not authorize the charges. The doctor said he wasn't even at scores on some of the days in, in question, which were November 17th, 23rd, 26th, and 28th. But Stephen Sabbath said there is irrefutable evidence of him enjoying himself those days at the clubs. He said, we have it all on tape. When asked about the drugging allegations, he said within two weeks, he was here four times. So if he was drugged the first time, I guess he liked it. And then he added, quickly added, we're a very law-abiding and very careful organization. (laughs) Now, he was not able to give a complete breakdown of his activities at the club, but he said the most popular services included um, $20 lap dances. There's also room rentals, which are um, can start at $1,000 an hour, and that's you know, just one dancer. If you yeah. get more dancers, it's more money. He said he was doing heavy-duty stuff. To run up a bill like this, you're doing top-shelf liquor, you're doing champagne, you're sharing it with the girls, and a lot of that money is used for tipping, he said. Adding that a lot of the um, credit card charges were used to purchase club currency called diamond dollars. Diamond dollars. Which you purchase, I guess, to give to the girls. So the doctor, um, you know, he's in this luxury private room. And the reason a lot of guys want to do this is they're away from all the other clients and they have these girls all to themselves. No one's looking at them as they watch the girls. And this kind of behavior during this period of time wasn't really out of the ordinary. People were being ballers at scores and spending a lot of money uh, because they wanted to, you know, have that like lifestyle and look like big spenders. He said every once in a while, people do get out of control with their credit cards and they wake up the next morning and realize what they've done. They knew it the night before, but it didn't bother them because they were enjoying themselves. Um, This cardiologist was treated like an absolute fool by the press and the public the lead to a New York sto- um, Post story even started off the article saying, "What a boob!" <laughs> now, like I said, this is not uncommon that guys who blow off, blow a ton of money, uh, they end up regretting it the next day, and. Uh, People just were used to rolling their eyes at these complaints. It had happened a lot of times before. So Stephen Sabbath felt fine pushing that narrative even more that these guys were idiots. He said, if I had five dancers dancing for me, I'd be in the ICU. He's a heart doctor. I guess he's got a good heart and he can handle it. He went on to say, it's a very high class operation. It's not for the dollar beer drinkers. But less than two months later, the cardiologist would be vindicated when the strippers were arrested after months-long sting by the DEA, who had other complaints from other victims, as well as a stripper who eventually acted as an informant for the agency. Four strippers were arrested, Samantha Barbash, Rosalind Rosie Keo. Karina Pascucci, and Marcy Rosen of Bayside, Queens. (gasps) (laughs) Not Marcy. Also arrested was a man named Carmen Vitolo, who was uh, a manager at Roadhouse New York City. This is another strip club. Uh, I think it wasn't in the city. It was maybe in Queens. And he helped the women figure out how to run up these bills. He had some tips on that. But the two ringleaders were Samantha, the older veteran stripper, and a stripper she had once mentored who had just come back into the game when the scam was in full swing, Rosie Keo. These two women had become tired of watching their wealthy clients blow through cash, cash as they struggled to survive and decided to turn the tables on the men by drugging them and stealing thousands of dollars. Damn. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> lots of money. Okay. So let's get their backstories. Rosalind Keogh, who goes by Rosie, was the child of Cambodian immigrants. When she was a child, her parents took off to Atlantic City, leaving her and her brother in Rockland County with their grandparents. Rosalind would later say this abandonment was what led to her becoming a wild child in her teen years. She ran with a rough crowd. She partied. She got into fights. Despite her wild child ways, she also had an entrepreneurial side, though. She used to buy candy in bulk and sell it at school for a profit. She was extremely well-organized. She was good at math. And her handwriting was so meticulous that one of her clients would later say, it could have been a font. This was a line that was in the movie that is actually true. Oh, Um, So at the age of 17, she gets a job as a waitress at a diner in Nanuit. This is in Rockland County, which is just north of uh, Manhattan. That was close to a gentleman's club called Lace. One night, the manager of Lace came in and left her a $20 tip on a $20 check, gave her the once-over, and told her if she ever wanted to make real money, she should come by Lace sometime. So this is the early 2000s, and according to the New York Magazine article, the exotic club, or whatever you want to call it, strip club industry, was really enjoying a cultural moment during this period. Um... The values of third wave feminism, according to the article, had aligned with those of Howard Stern, ushering in an era in which taking off one's clothes in front of an audience was no longer degrading, but sexually liberating and financially empowering. These clubs were now destinations for men and women. They had celebrity clients, bottle service, they were very high class, and none was more famous than the New York City club scores. Have, have, you been, recently, have you been to Scores ever? No, I went to Billy's Topless. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a dollar beer girl. I liked Billy's Topless. Yeah. I didn't like that kind of vibe. Yeah. That's not for me. That's yeah. like Wall Street guys and like right. whatever. I like the more rinky-dink clubs, actually. Yeah, but yeah, I don't yeah. typically, uh, I don't really go anymore. Um, so Rosie went by lace the next day. She lied about her ed- age, saying she was 18 and was soon making five to $1,000 per night, even in Rockland County. Soon, she was driving into Manhattan, though, to make even more money at clubs like Flash Dancers and Larry Flint's Hustler Club. It was here that she met a veteran dancer named Samantha Fox. Now, Samantha was born Samantha Barbash. She was one of Hustler's top earners. Her mother had died when she was young. Her dad quickly remarried. So Samantha was kind of put on the back burner and had no supervision, turning into kind of a classic bad girl, very similar to Rosie. She ran away from home at age 17, and by the age of 18, she was pregnant with her son. Now, she was a single mother living in the Bronx. Um, Her regular job income just wasn't cutting it, and she started dancing at 19. Her first job was at Limelight. Oh, She was a go-go dancer in the go-go cages that they had at Limelight. I remember those. She was earning $170, $175 per night doing this, which is pretty good. Yeah. She eventually won the club's hot body contest and got $800. So she was like, wait, I can maybe make more money with this bot of mine. Like she's a very curvy girl. Uh, So her next job she gets is as a cocktail waitress at Flash Dancers. So she was not dancing yet. She was very beloved by the dancers, though, because she had excellent sale, sales skills and was like always helping them out and getting their tabs up. They were always encouraging her to become a dancer herself. I I have told this story before, probably about when I went for a job as a bathroom attendant at a dance club, like a strip club. Yeah, I didn't realize it was. Uh huh. And it was like me and a bunch of middle aged women. <laughs> and the guy was like, hey, like, you want to be like a host? You could be like a hostess or something. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, uh I was like, I'll just go get a wait- waitressing job. Um, but it's like sort of a similar experience. Yeah. So um she she's like interested in the money because they're earning thousands per night. And she was just too tempted. Um, she's like, as I said, a young mom. She has this kid to support. she, Really didn't enjoy dancing, though. She had to really drink a lot to get up on the stage and get that courage going. But she said when she was dancing, even though she didn't like it, she just thought of all the money she was earning every time, and that's how she kind of got through it. She eventually moves into Manhattan and starts dancing at a club called Paradise. She moves in with her manager at the club, slash her boyfriend now, and she gets her first boob job. This guy, though, is heavily into drugs. He's super controlling. And he, of course, eventually wants her to get out of stripping and get a, you know, job as a nurse. That's yeah. what he wants for her. And she starts doing it, but eventually it becomes too much. He's very abusive. She leaves him and actually goes into hiding, because that's what a stalker asshole he is. And he finds her and nearly stabs her to death. Jesus. Like she opens the door and he attacks her. <gasps> so now she is even more sort of like desperate for money according to her she um she needs to take care of herself as well as her son and she lines up an audition at this top strip sorry top strip club in town scores yeah she hits it off great with them and they hire her now at scores it's a totally different ball game she is wearing long gowns they really dress these girls up there when they're walking around the room. Uh, initially, I don't know how it exactly works, but I guess there's like this hostess aspect that before you dance, you're kind of mingling. They also give the girls professional hair and makeup, which they hadn't had at any of the other clubs. And she quickly works her way up, eventually landing a lucrative spot as a private room girl where she serves the VIP clients. There she earns three to five grand per night. Wow. So she quickly gets herself a sugar daddy at scores as well. She says he is an owner of a big cereal company. I was like, Whoa. which one? <laughs> I know. It's like, tell me. Her memoir is like, <sighs> it's very short. It's like a hundred pages. Yeah, and it's not very well. It's like all over the place. Yeah, she, I was like, she. I was like, I would have helped her for free. Yeah, to <laughs> shape this up. It's right. all over the place. And sometimes I'm like, just tell us. What do you have to lose at this point? <laughs> I like, want to know what cereal. A big... I mean, how many are there? General Mills, Post? Like, what's a big cereal company? Right. Panda (laughs) Puffs? (laughs) (laughs) Kellogg's? Yeah. Like, which one? Yeah. So he eventually gives her an ultimatum. She can have him or work in the clubs. And she chooses the clubs and they break up. She eventually um, gets in with the manager of scores and he puts her in the rooms with their highest spending patrons. Now these are the kind of things rooms where anything goes. They're like after hours. Um, there's drugs. There's sex happening. Uh, Samantha does not do drugs, and she would often pretend to be snorting coke off of other girls' asses. Oh, because she didn't want to be high in these situations. Yeah, which is probably smart. Um, she would teach this this to uh, other girls, like she because she eventually gets like a crew of girls, which is very common in the industry. Like girls work together, yeah. to make more money. She says in her memoir, the worst client that they all had to deal with was a man named Danilo. Now, the girls called him Diaper Man. What <laughs> Why? sorry. Why did they call him that? Because he liked to get champagne bottles shoved in his ass, and he would lie down like he was getting his diaper changed when he wanted it. <laughs> so she said the private rooms always ended up smelling like shit when they left. And Samantha and the girls would sometimes spend 8 to 10 hours with him and, like, come home fucking exhausted and smelling like shit. Um, But she said the money made her forget the smell (laughs) because they earned a ton of money on those nights. Yeah, She was just always, you know, reminding herself that she's getting this money while she can because she's pushing 30, which is old crone in in stripper years, Mm -hmm. uh, according to her. So she's, like, getting as much as she can. Right Now... A part of the girl's job also includes going out to high-end bars and restaurants and bringing rich guys back to the club, getting them wasted, and getting them to spend a ton of money. Yeah. So this is fishing, basically. They're right. fishing. And it was pretty much a mandatory part of their job as VIP girls. Go get those guys in. And um, like I said before, the strippers would form little cliques and work together as a team to get these guys in. Because if you have two or three hot women all over you getting you back to the club, it's much harder to decline that offer. Right. Uh, So that's how they would do it. Now, she's a master of fishing and sales, but Samantha was really exhausted from this lifestyle. Like I said, that eight to 10 hour uh, night with Danilo, it's like you're getting a lot of money. Uh, but this is hard work, like yeah. this is fucking labor. Um, so she said, as the two thousands kind of rolled on, the drug use of clients really got more out of control. She was like worried she might re- like witness a drug overdose. Wow. And they're not supposed to be doing this in the club. Obviously, this yeah. is all like on the DL. She said the men also began acting more insane and entitled. And even like these places like SCORE started feeling really unsafe when Mm -hmm. you were in these VIP lounges. Um, She said the women felt like they were almost disposable, that there were so many who wanted to take their place if it came to that. Um, The clubs just weren't protecting them. So Samantha really made herself more valuable with her skills beyond dancing. This marketing and fishing expertise made her sort of like treated better she was treated better right um, she had a long a lot of longtime clients at this point and she knew how to maximize profit when she meets Rosie at hustler's Club all the girls wanted to be in her clique and she became Rosie's mentor Rosie also was noticing this decline in the way men were treating the women they were definitely more entitled in her opinion as well she described the guys as mostly being assholes who always asked questions like, Did your father abuse you? Is that why you do this? Like what? things like that. Like they always wanted to like, kind of belittle the women. Ugh. She said the majority were married, but they were always asking for blowjobs and sex, which is also supposedly off the table, but they got more entitled about demanding it. And she said um, that working. With these men was really causing strife in her own relationship because she really became disgusted with men. Yeah. She, uh, a former scores manager in the New York uh, Magazine, an article said the girls develop a terrible contempt. They stop believing men are real, they think they are there for me to manipulate and take money from. Uh, so Rosie said that the girl started actually like preferring the assholes. She's like, there was something extra satisfying about persuading a man who thinks you're trash to spend all his time and money on you. (laughs) Uh, So it's like, at the end, you wanted them to be like, they hate. you wanted them to feel like they hate themselves. And then you could say to them, who doesn't have any self-respect now, motherfucker? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, She's like, at least they were worthy opponents. Not like the sad sack losers who would come in just to talk. She was she was disgusted with these guys. She said, "I want." She said they thought I want you to look at me like I'm not one of those other scumbag perverts. They tried to like have relationships with the girls, yeah. And she's like, "Yeah, they had their uses. You could string them along for um, payments for your rent or school. Like they would fall for that kind of stuff. Like they were really helping you, but she she and the girls saw their weakness." Uh, and were they thought they were these guys were pathetic, and they had a ton of damsel and distress stories for these guys ready and waiting to take their money. Um, she's and she said to guys as a warning, "Don't ever tell a stripper you love them." This is her words. That means they know they can milk you for everything. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm sure there are some strippers you can tell it to. I don't know, but yeah, I mean it's a good rule. So she also Rosie also sees herself above it all, like. She's not like other girls. So, I mean, take that, take all her words uh, with a grain of salt. Because she, of all the girls, spoke the most. So she really was able to um, paint this narrative that she was the smart one. She was always the one who knew. And since no one else spoke, it's only her version. And she is really, um, in this original New York Magazine article, as well as the one by Hunter Harris, it's all her story. So it's like, she's the smart one. It's her perspective. Her perspective, yeah. Yeah. So she also said that um, unlike the other girls who lied about going to school, she actually was going to school during the day. Uh, she knew she didn't want to be in this forever and was making plans. She took an introduction to psychology class, she said. And that was where she really was able to see the dynamics of the club and and found its long-term prospects unappealing. She said, the reason why Wall Street guys party so hard is because they're not happy with their jobs. You make money, but you're not happy, so you go out and splurge on strip clubs and drinking and drugs. Then the money depletes and you have to make it again. The dancers are the same way. You make money, but then you're depressed, so you end up shopping or going on vacation. The money depletes, so you have no choice but to go back. And that might be accurate for a lot of jobs people don't like being in, but support their lifestyle. She viewed Samantha as a cautionary tale. She didn't want to be in her 30s still doing this. So in 2007, it seemed like she really decided to follow through on these plans to stop working in the club. She literally disappeared, not even telling her fiance, Brian, that she was leaving. She was just gone. Two years later, she calls him to help her move back to New York from Arizona. He hears a baby crying, and Rosie's like, oh, that's my friend's baby. But the reality was she had never left New York. She got pregnant by another guy and just was living there and not seeing any of her old people. Um, She's calling Brian because she needs money because that relationship ended, and she's hoping to get some from him. He's now married, though, so he's like, uh, I'm not giving you money. So that's when she goes back to Hustlers. Um, in that time that she had been out this like two years, things had really changed in the industry. The market collapse in 2008 had left half of wall street unemployed and the other half were not spending money at the champagne room and scores anymore. They were being much more careful and modest with their money. The dancers that she came, when she came back, all the dancers were new too. She didn't know anyone she said they were all giving blowjobs for $300 and they were good looking and I yeah. was like I can't compete with this shit. She's <laughs> like it was just a completely different world. Then she saw a familiar face, Samantha Fox. Now Samantha was no longer dancing but she ran a crew of girls that she would con- she was continuing the fishing. That was like she was sort of in charge now. She was like a little bit higher up. She now called the fishing expeditions marketing like they're going out marketing the clubs, and she and her girls were doing extraordinarily well in this industry that was no longer considered a viable huge money maker after the financial clap collapse. So especially without promising sexual contact, like that was right. how some of the girls were sort of making that same amount of money. According to Rosie, I started noticing these bitches were making a lot of money, and they don't really even work. Samantha had found some kind of loophole where I can get paid and not actually have to have sex. Whenever the doors to these private rooms would open, Rosie would kind of peek in, seeing what they were up to. It didn't take long for her to figure out what was going on. She said, like like I said, I'm smart. I would see the guy laid out, chilling, and I would be like, hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll take a break here and get back into it. It's a festival of savings with big cash back at hundreds of stores. Don't miss headliners like Canon, Fenty Beauty, and Dyson. I can't wait to shop for all of my summer fashion and beauty needs, and we'll definitely be checking out Ulta and Adidas. on top of Big Give Week cashback rates. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Rakuten is the shopping platform to save while shopping. So as I mentioned earlier, the girls were sort of not in charge when they were stripping back in the day. The clubs had all the power and the girls were disposable. They could get another hot girl in seconds. So they were the draw, though. I mean, right. obviously. Instead of playing the clubs paying the dancers those, the dancers actually paid the club for the privilege of dancing there. Um, not only that, they were expected to tip out the bartender, the host, the DJs, the house mom. And they paid other fees as well. I mentioned that cor- um, Scores sold that diamond dollars. They had to give scores 20% of those dollars that they earned through tips. So they were like paying... The club was taking a lot of money from them. Uh, So now the clubs, though, are desperate for customers because customers are not coming in and they need the girls to reel them in. Like Now they're desperate. Um, So the power dynamic has shifted and Samantha takes full advantage of that. She has... She's been in the business so long that she has just a massive list of clients she's had over the years and she would start doing things like send them a sexy text, a photograph, and say, "Hey, like what are you doing tonight?" like right. and kind of, you know, lure them into the club or lure them out at least. She called this part of her job telemarketing. Now, sometimes she'd send pics of her crew, which now included Karina Pascucci and Marcy Rosen. This started off as classic fishing kind of stuff. The girls would meet the guys, get them drunk, take them back to the clubs where they had negotiated a lucrative fee, a percentage of whatever the club got from the client that they brought in. They would then run his credit card up as much as they could. But sometimes the guys would be too tired after partying at the bars and restaurants to go back to the club, or they were, according to the girls, dorks who weren't interested in waking up with cocaine. (laughs) (laughs) Back in the old days, you would just move on to the next mark, but these days you needed every guy you could scheme and you didn't want to waste all that time and not see some profit. So Samantha came up with an idea to make every fishing expedition a success. She invented a special drink spiked with MDMA and ketamine. (gasps) So the MDMA would make the guys all happy and ready to party and the ketamine would screw with their memory, oftentimes blacking them out. And more importantly, when they woke up the next morning, they would have no memory of what went down the night before. Oh, Jesus! So Rosie quickly figures this out. She tells Samantha she wants in. She not <laughs> has zero qualms with the ethics of it. She says in the article, "Yeah, it sounds bad to say that we were like drugging people, <laughs> but it was like normal." <laughs> I'm sorry. It sounds bad. I anyway, know but... it sounds bad because technically drugging people is illegal. And wrong. Uh, and wrong. So she says the guys they were targeting were wealthy. She's like, what's an extra 20000 to them? They're not exactly upstanding citizens. Um, it wasn't like we pulled them off the street. They had a history. They'd been to Hustler. They'd been to Rick's. They'd been to Scores. They all walked in ready to party. And yeah, we slipped an extra one that they didn't know about. But all of it goes <laughs> hand in hand. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll, you know? Like Holy shit. Rosy. So when a guy would inevitably call and complain about the size of his bill, Samantha would get on the phone with him and be like, remember what a good time you had? You were so happy. Don't you remember? You were tipping everyone. So they would like plant these memories. Those who took complaints further were threatened with racy photographs that the women took that night. Graphic oh. images of the men posing suggestively with men and women. Pics that they surely wouldn't want their wives or bosses to see. Fuck. So they had a contingency plan for further uh, complaints. Blackmail. Yeah. So Rosie at that time. Rosie even today ha- had to hand it to Samantha. <laughs> she was so convincing to get these guys to back down. She's ruthless she said, she belongs on Wall Street. Even if the guy uh, wasn't buying it um, and wanted to still kind of prosecute or do something, they were too embarrassed to even go to the police with it because they saw all these other guys get mocked for complaining about that and it was just like embarrassing. And Rosie said that's why it worked so well. They just would let it go because they didn't want to admit that they were scammed by a bunch of strippers. Right. So Rosie really upped the, um, the scam. She had those organizational skills, uh, and she streamlined the operation. She had a schedule. She kept notes on each client with their personal details, how much they had charged to each of their cards. She treated it like a real uh, business. And this Rosie's the woman with the very neat handwriting. Yes, okay. that's Rosie Keo. So
0: she's like- She's played
1: by Constance Wu in the movie. Right. That's the character. So uh it was Rosie who brought in Carma- Carmine from the roadhouse, uh, and- you know, she he kind of elevated their game as well, and was they could bring guys back to the roadhouse as well. She, um, Rosie urged them to cultivate a higher level of clientele because before Samantha and the other girls, they just go to bars like TGI Fridays in the financial district. Uh. And she's like, No, 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 no. we got to go where rich guys go, more upscale places. She also says, like, she brought an advantage to the team because. She didn't look like a typical stripper. She didn't have like a lot of the big, you know, the big boobs. uh, According to her, that she could just go into a restaurant and look like any girl getting off work and having a glass of wine, Mm -hmm. so the guys kind of would be more susceptible to her charms. Um, They even rose. It was Rosie's idea to also start outsourcing sex requests. So they would hire sex workers on Craigslist to come into the private rooms and perform the sex acts the guys were asking for. Um, so she became like a mini Heidi Fleiss as well. Wow! So she really became Samantha's right hand. They were like working hand in hand. Uh, she talks about telling the girls how to fake drinking, fake sniffing, Uh don't do anything to make yourself fucked up until she had the signatures um from the guys on their credit cards. Yeah. Then they could party their heads out. Like um, so she while the girls would entertain the, the guys who were basically passed out or really incapacitated, she would get on the phone with American Express verifying and she'd be yelling at these guys when they were getting lap dances, like what's the last four digits of your social? What's your mother's maiden name? Wait, what? She'd be getting information from these guys while they were getting lap dances. And they were just telling her everything. And they were drugged too, right? Yes, they're drugged. So she was getting all the information you need, you know, passwords, um, their name, their location, what your last purchase is. Like anything you might be asked when you're trying to run up a credit card. Fuck. Um, she, yeah, so sometimes they'd be getting a blowjob. by one of the sex workers they hired. She's like, I did it right in front of them. I would just ask them, hey, what's your mom's maiden name? Uh (laughs) (laughs) What's your social security number? And the guys would tell her. Oh my God. So, I mean, they are under the influence, so it's not their fault. But according to Rosie, um, she and Samantha got the largest cut and then everyone else was paid out accordingly. No one knows to this day how much the clubs profited from this scheme, but obviously they did, even if it was unknowing. I mean, who knows? Uh, And Rosie actually resents the idea that the clubs were in on it. She's like, this was our business. Right, this wasn't them. We (laughs) didn't have this idea. We
0: came up with this scam. Yeah, and
1: she's like, it was a success due to my business savvy and Samantha's people skills. Like, Scores doesn't get any credit. Yeah. The business was really booming. And Rosie says, we were like Kobe and Shaq. That's what I always said to Samantha. We were untouchable. But the bigger the operation got, the more out of control it got. And tensions really began to rise between Samantha and Rosie, especially when Samantha would start bringing in girls who had issues like drug addiction, Uh, people Rosie found to be like maybe not the most trustworthy uh, to deal with. And she was like, this is going to be our downfall because we're not really... um, Scoping these girls out first, like right. they're just kind of being brought in. Samantha would also get greedy, according to Rosie. Rosie preferred robbing these guys a little at a time, and Samantha would find out their credit limit and max it out in one night, which made it way more obvious to the guys yeah. uh, that something was up. This would also burn through their regulars quickly because they had no more money to spend, right? And they wouldn't want to. They wouldn't want to go back, so they started dealing with more and more clients who were strangers to them and had more unpredictable behavior. Sometimes out of fr- frustration with dealing with one of these new dicks, Rosie would be irresponsible herself, saying to them, like, you're going to be left with zero left on your credit card line just because you're fucking annoying. Like, So she would start <laughs> running up their credit cards just because they pissed her off. Of course, Rosie keeps promising herself she's going to get out soon, just a hundred grand more. Then it, that quickly becomes another hundred grand more. And then... You know, it's a mil- when I get to a million right. I'm out now. As she mentioned earlier about the Wall Street guys, they were also doing things like that, going to fucking La Bouton and buying a bunch of shoes, and then they had no more money, and they were like, "Well, we have to do more scams." So they were doing the same thing they accused the Wall Street guys of doing, right? Um, But they also became more reckless. They became more reckless, but they also became more cruel. Uh, in particular. A client that's talked about in the New York Magazine article—they call him Fred in the article. He meets Samantha one night at the Hustler Club. His friend took him there to kind of blow off steam. He had a—he had experienced a devastating series of events. His house was uh, destroyed by a hurricane. His mother—the mother of his uh, son—left him. He, his son was diagnosed with autism, so he had just gone through a lot and his friends like, hey, let's go to scores and like take our mind off of things, I guess. Uh, And he becomes one of Samantha's clients in her book, her little Rolodex or whatever of clients. Rosie picks him as a market sometime, takes him to a restaurant uh, to get him to go back to the club. They end up having a heart to heart conversation and Rosie actually hesitates about running the con on this guy who's really struggling and not the typical asshole Mark. But she eventually takes him to the roadhouse where they clean him out completely. Fuck. He later begs them to refund him since he can't pay his mortgage. They, they <gasps> took everything he had because it was his debit card, so it cleaned out his bank account. Oh, no. And Rosie said this is the first time she felt bad and actually considered giving him the money back. But Samantha was like, no, if we didn't scam him, someone else would. <laughs> That's horrible. <laughs> no one would have, Samantha. No one would, no one else would have cleaned him out, Samantha. Like that's oh, not accurate. That's not how that works. No. Oh, that's
0: horrible. So
1: unlike their other marks, Fred calls the police. And of course, the police are at first skeptical. As I mentioned, very common complaint, these guys calling up and like regretting their decisions. Mm. And he's like, no, I was drugged and fleeced by a bunch of strippers. Like, that's what happened. And the cops are laughing at him until he says, I have evidence. I have a tape of one of the girls admitting the scam to me. (gasps) So... The girl on the tape was brought in and confessed immediately. She has never been ID'd, but is believed to be one of Samantha's, the girls that Samantha brought brought in who had a drug issue. She was in trouble with the law due to drugs and became their informant. Wow. So she agrees to help them set up a sting operation. Uh, She's going to lure the girls in saying she has a mark and they're going to drug him and whatever they're going to do. So she requests help with a client at the Gansovort Hotel Uh, The girls show up and almost immediately know something's off because she keeps saying to them things like, don't you want to give him some drugs now? (laughs) She's like not the best uh, sneaky uh, informant. Rosie immediately grabs the other girls and they leave the room. They call Samantha. Samantha's like, you're paranoid. Uh, But the DEA was on to them as well as the local police. They're working together now. The only trouble was getting victims to talk. As I said, men weren't coming forward. They didn't want to admit... That they had been victimized by these women. They didn't want their family and bosses to know. Like it was just whatever. So enter the April 2014 story on Dr. Ziad Yunin. Now, although the doctor was being made fun of, when investigators saw this, they immediately recognized the pattern that they had heard from Fred and the informant. And they call him in and he's he's willing to spill it all. Yeah. He's been completely humiliated already. He has nothing else to lose. Right. And he wants them to pay for it. Yeah. So he tells the cops that he met Karina Pascucci at a park, a restaurant on Park Avenue. He told she told him she was a nursing student and she had her hot cousins, Samantha and Marcy, with her as well. (laughs) They would often say they were relatives because they all had like brown hair and whatever. Um, He said the date ended very fuzzily. Uh, He didn't remember much of what had happened until he got a phone call from American Express saying that he had spent $135,000 at scores. Then he realized something was really wrong. Um, As I said, when the story broke, a lot of people thought he was full of shit, but the investigators knew about the other victims, so they knew this guy was telling the truth. According to Rosie at the time when these stories were breaking about the doctor and they were all mocking him, she was glad she was like, well, now he'll pay his bill because scores is suing him to pay this bill. Right. So they're just like, want to get the money. Um, so Rosie of course says she had a bad feeling about it all. And once again, she was right. Like (laughs) and she was right. If that's what she thought, because on June 9th, 2014, all of the girls and Carmine are arrested the Post ran a headline now about Dr. Yunnan that said, who's the boob now? Whoa. So they did a complete turnaround. Yeah. <laughs> um, when Rosie is picked up, she said, she said that she had this exchange in the cop car. She said the cop looked at her through the rearview mirror, and he said, I ain't never taking a drink from you. And she said, don't worry, hun. You don't have no money for me to take. <laughs> <laughs> In addition to the doctor, the cops had persuaded three other victims to testify, and the women were charged with various things, including forgery, conspiracy, grand larceny, and assault. Fred's story obviously was particularly compelling because of his circumstances. He also had suffered more trauma since the incident because uh, the card that they used was, one of the cards they used was also a corporate card. Oh, fuck. So he was fired from his job for like white collar crime or like whatever, embezzlement. Yeah. Um. When the job he got after that found out about this, they also fired him because they didn't want to deal with someone who had used the corporate card in that way. And he at the time uh, was living in fear his new employer would find out and once again he would lose his job. So- The women still see themselves as victims. In their opinion, they are hardworking, blue-collar ladies, some of them single moms, and these guys are wealthy pigs, um... So they're kind of seeing themselves as getting back at bad men for all women at this point. Um, They're like, men never pay the consequences for their actions. Why should we? Samantha even says at some point, what about the things guys did? What about Bill Cosby? (laughs) It's just like... I mean, yeah, two things can be bad. Two things are bad, Samantha. But it's like, this has nothing to do with Bill Cosby right now. uh, But it was just kind of like throwing these things out there. She's also outraged that the press is calling her um, a stripper and or a prostitute. She's like, we're women. Like, she wants to be that. One investigator shoots back in the press, you think that drugging people without their consent is okay, but being a prostitute is derogatory? They're warped. Like, I mean,
0: you can be a stripper and a businesswoman. Uh, you yeah. are a bi- I mean, you're a businesswoman.
1: Yeah, it's just weird but that they have. Dr- the, yeah, don't drug people.
0: <laughs> Seriously,
1: <laughs> it's just like, yeah, I don't know what they're doing because they're kind of like you're taking down other women. You say you're standing up for women. Yeah, but you're actually dismissing the value of people who you worked with or right. people who were in your same field. Yeah. Um. But yeah, and also you drugged people. Like, sorry. Like, yeah. So. They end up all sharing a cell at Rikers after booking. They're oh, all put fuck. into the same sh- sh- cell. Uh, Samantha tries to kind of rally the troop. She, according to Rosie, she was like, "Let's all hold hands and fight this together. We didn't do anything. We're innocent." According to Rosie, she's I like, just, I'm sorry, I heard that in Jen Shaw's voice. <laughs> <laughs> I, Honestly, I kept thinking of Jen Shaw because Samantha really, it's like she's refusing to admit guilt. Like, I am innocent. We're innocent. No, we didn't do anything. It's us against them. Rosie said she thought, this is dumb. Like, I said, yeah, we're all innocent. We're all fucking angels. You are delusional. Like, come on. This Now I'm like, is this Whitney Rose? <laughs> <laughs> Everything has already unraveled. Put your big girl panties on and just be truthful for once in life. Samantha said Rosie had a breakdown in the cell. The corrections officer said that they were eyeing them all with amusement because it's like these four you know, hot strippers in a case, like basically in a gel cell together, all bickering with each other. And it was just like, what the hell is going on? One of them said that they asked the group, which one of you is the ringleader? And Rosie said, Samantha pointed to me and I pointed to her. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now, Rosie eventually talks and gets herself a deal. She's the first one to break. She says, at first I was like, no, I don't want to be a rat. But then I thought about it and I'm like, the only one of those girls that's normal with a brain in my head, with a child and a future. So Rosie. Damn, Rosie. Yeah. She, uh, she said she wasn't really worried about the other girls, especially Samantha. She'll she'll have a crew in jail. She'll be fine. Uh, and she says, I know why we did it. Hurt people hurt people. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I let.'" I love when people take, like, therapy terms and, like, bastardize them for their own good. Yeah, it's really And it's like, funny. yeah, that's true, but not all of us hurt people that bad, like... Yeah. So all the women are obviously desperate to avoid jail time. Karina and Marcy eventually take a deal. They plead guilty to conspiracy, assault, and grand larceny. A few weeks later, Samantha does the same, but... Um, she Samantha gets so so Rosie gets 5 years probation Samantha Barbash she also gets 5 years proba- probation and after her sentencing the judge asked her if she had anything to say she said i'm glad this is done and then gave the middle finger to the everyone waiting outside the courthouse um ironically Marcy and Karina who weren't even the masterminds get jail time oh weird they are ordered to spend their weekends in jail for four months before getting a five-year probation sentence, which is like that's so very odd. weird. Why not just give them like at home whatever monitoring or whatever? Yeah. Um, so obviously, this um, New York Magazine story is like a huge hit. It gets optioned to make a film out of, and uh, Rosie is very into hustlers and all the publicity. She goes to the premiere. She does a ton of interviews about it. She's like in photos with the actors. Like, so she's very uh, into it. Samantha is not a fan of the movie. And she uh, publicly said she wished Cardi B played her instead of Jennifer Lopez, <laughs> that Cardi B would have gotten her story better. So, Samantha actually sues producers for $40 million. This case is dismissed, obviously, because she has no, no leg to stand on. And she now owns a med spa. <laughs> Wait, where's her med spa? I I didn't see where it was, but that made me laugh because I was like, of course, like, yeah. that's like the perfect career. So I did have a little information on the, some of the things that are different in the movie. Obviously, in the movie, these characters, especially Rosie and um, Samantha, are portrayed much more sympathetically. Yeah. They are just trying to support their children, their elderly grandmother. In the movie, um, the character based on Rosie goes into the scam because she... Um, has given a hand job for a few twenties and she's just completely humiliated. And that's what drives her to start scamming these guys. Mm-hmm. That does not happen. It's completely made up and that doesn't happen in real life. Uh, the Rosie character is also portrayed as more of a foot soldier and Ramona is the mastermind. Um, as I mentioned and then t- we talked about, obviously, Rosie is just as ruthless as Samantha, and they are definitely co-leaders. If anything, Rosie even made the con more effective with her business acumen and like her organiza- organization. organization. Uh, and if she was fully in charge, it might have lasted way longer. Yeah. Because whatever, according to her, Samantha is the one that did these things that did kind of lead to the downfall. The friendship between the characters, because they're definitely trying to sell this movie as like a friendship, a mentorship- that's just not true they were not friends ever they were it was business uh, and the two of them do not part on good terms uh, they haven't spoken to each other since everything came crashing down in the movie it's definitely more like I wish you well I understand that you right. have to like take this plea or whatever like yeah uh, that kind of thing another invention in the movie we have a glimpse of it's a very famous cameo. We get a glimpse of the heyday with Usher arriving to the club and meeting the hustlers themselves. Right. Obviously, that doesn't happen. It's just a cameo for fun and to help ind- uh, illustrate how high the industry was in the early 2000s before it all came crashing down when celebrities were proudly showing up in limos and just going to hang out and like whatever. But no, Usher just agreed to do it for fun yeah and uh he never met the hustlers so uh,
0: did usher p- play himself in the yes. movie yes he plays oh. himself arriving
1: at i can't remember which club maybe the hustler Club it had a different name in the movie yeah um yeah, they have him like arriving in like he walks in and the Jennifer Lo- Lopez character's like, What's your name? And he's like, Usher baby. It's just
0: like <laughs> it's just like that kind of thing. How like, do you not recognize
1: Usher? I think that was their deal though. Like right. pretending they didn't know who a celebrity was. That's like really funny. All that kind of stuff. Uh so yeah, that's also kind of made up. But yeah, I would say like the biggest thing is like thinking it was this Robin Hood ha- Robin Hood tale. Right. When these these women were Fucking up these men, like they were doing something very dangerous. Yeah, you can't drug people. Like if they just got them drunk and whatever, maybe because it's like they took something that the girls were already doing that I guess was borderline legal, getting these guys wasted and spending more money than they wanted to. Right, and kind of like once you start drugging them but and that, stealing
0: from them, like right, that's there's a difference between that them drinking alcohol willingly and them putting
1: spiking their drinks yeah without their consent and then just charging things that they weren't actually paying buying right like uh and it's like i could even give it a pass more if it was like maybe if you were just scamming villains right <laughs> then I would be like great like yeah. if it was like Harvey Weinstein and what, whatever yeah but you were doing it to guys who maybe even if I don't like them do they deserve that like yeah I don't know like and then there's guys who clearly were just whatever sad sacks uh, or people who are going through issues like and they don't care that they wiped out this guy's yeah, they life. knew too. Like right, they knew going in. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely a little less sympathetic, I think, in real life. Right, in my opinion. But yeah,
0: that's the story. Wow, I'm so glad we got to this one. Thank you so much.
1: That was so good. Oh, good. I. It was a last minute switch. I know, Rachel. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so I was panicking, but luckily there was tons of information Yeah, uh, on it. I think there is even a 2020, which I didn't get a chance to watch. Yeah. So if you want to see more about the real story. Uh, and I think Rosie has a memoir coming out, or it might be out. I just didn't get a chance oh, interesting. to get it. I mean, the woman who wrote the New York Magazine article is definitely kind of like Rosie's a liar. So everything I say from Rosie, you have to take with a grain of salt. Like She thinks Rosie is a little untrustworthy. Is that Hunter
0: Harris wrote that one?
1: Jessica Pressman wrote the original one. Okay. The original. Did Hunter Harris write the Vulture? She wrote the Vulture one that's pretty much all about Rosie. Right. So it's all an interview with Rosie um, where she gives a lot of quotes and it's sort of what she's doing now, which isn't that much. But she does have a memoir that might be out now, um, so I guess it's telling her side of the story. You can also get Samantha's memoir. It's It's 100 pages. Honestly, it's like a fast 100 pages. Like I think I read it like in an hour. I was like, this is like a long Vanity Fair article. (laughs) Like, it was so fast. I was like, that's... Because you know you're scrolling through and you're like, I just went three pages just by one click. It was like so fast. Yeah. Uh, And it's just not... You can tell no one helped her write this. Right. Um, But yeah, there are some... Interesting stuff in there. I didn't yeah. get into all the details, but uh, yeah, you can find that. So we'll have some good pictures, I think.
0: Yeah, we'll post some pictures on our Instagram page and we will see you soon for our mini episode. Yeah. All righty. Bye. bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.